are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at LastWordOnSports.com. It is Thursday, June 29th, 2023. We got Gold Cup action coming up. We are less than a month away from the 2023 Women's World Cup down under in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, And MLS keeps rolling on as Tata Martino is official to Inter-Miami as we approach past the halfway point in the 2023 MLS season. Uh, Joining me now to talk about many, many soccering things, Rachel Krigger. Rachel, hello. I just, we're halfway through the season. That's, I mean, I'm still not fathoming that like next week is July, but here we are. Um, yes, I am good. It's been a while since I've been on the show. So happy, happy to be back, Matt. Happy Sucking in breathy, breathy, terrible air. And it is, you know, that's just how life is right now in the East Coast with our Canadian wildfire smoke. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm not sure what to say. It's It feels like it's weird stuff going on pretty much everywhere, Rachel, because you've got the bad air quality in places that didn't have the bad air quality last year due to the California files. I was breathing in a whole lot of smoke. Robin Frazier and the Colorado Rapids were out there at training at Dick Sporting as Park in Commerce City, breathing in a lot of smoke this time last season. And we're getting an insane amount of rain. You can actually, the lighting's actually good, Rachel, in terms of the timing. You can see the main tree I have outside of the window of my fourth floor condo room and that is the greenest that I have seen it, having moved in here summer of 2019 now. The, the mountains are greener than I've ever seen. It is The trailheads are muddier than they have ever been this time of year. Uh, it's a weird time for soccer, and it's a weird time for weather in these United States of America. So let's get into it, Rachel. We are currently sitting, if we're counting... Uh, Honduras and Qatar are officially tied 1-1, and then right about now at time of recording, we've got Haiti taking on El Tri. Rachel, despite how much of a mess uh, the Mexican national team is right now, I feel pretty confident in saying that Mexico is going to win that one. So we're effectively two group, we're effectively two match days through the group stage for the Gold Cup. So, um... I guess let's start let's start at the top with Group A with the United States. Rachel, uh, 1-1 draw with Jamaica with a disappointing performance, but overall a good enough result with Brandon Vasquez scoring and then a comprehensive undressing of St. Kitts and Nevins to pad that goal difference ahead of the final match day where it's probably going to come down to goal difference with Jamaica. What have we made of the what have we made of the I'll say the C team yanked so far under their second interim substitute teacher? Yeah, I think it's fair to call them the C team for sure. Um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of really bright spots. I, I've I've personally been a big Brandon Vasquez fan. Um, I was screaming for him to be on the national team a lot earlier than what he was. Um, side note, super, super peeved off that uh, Cincinnati isn't letting him go to my German club. Um, but that's another story for another time. But um, Brandon Vasquez with a goal. Yeah, it was a nice goal and, and it definitely made up for... Um, for just the defensive woes against Jamaica, I think, you know, let's, it's really tough, you know, to, to comment on this stuff because it isn't our first choice team. Right. But like, it's, you know, still it matters because injuries happen in the sport and you need people to come in and, and, and fill and replace. And I, I hate to break it to, 
Um, I don't know if Greg Berhalter actually had a say-so in the lineup, like people are saying um, in the Jamaica game, but Aaron Long is most certainly not the answer um, at center back. Um, It's just, it's not working. I don't think it has been working for a while now. Um, Major gaffe that led to the, uh, led to the Jamaica goal for sure. Um, And honestly, like, I I hate to say this because he's such a really, really likable guy, but I, I'm very curious to why DeAndre Yedlin keeps getting called up to the national team, um, especially with how poorly um, Inter-Miami has been at the club level. And, you know, he's starting games, so he's, you know, obviously part of that. So I, I just, I'm a little confused to, to how he keeps getting called up and, um, you know, whatnot. But but it's tough to say that because he really is a likable guy. Um I hate to call it the C team in, in a way because I really like Matt Miazga and I'm glad that he's getting his shot um, back again with the national team. Um, I like uh, I like Zendejas a lot. I think he's been a really good addition to the team and the attacking formation that they're that they're using and that they're trying out. Uh, would have loved to uh, have seen him get on the scoreboard um, against uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, but alas. Jesus Ferrer was having the time of his life uh, scoring goals. And I think, I, I don't know, Matt, I feel like I can speak for everybody on the podcast that we've we've all had a soft spot for Georgi Mihaljevic and just have wanted to see him do well. Um, I was explaining um, the other night to a couple of soccer friends that I just feel like Georgi Mihaljevic has been such a really good player individually, but he hasn't um, made it to a club team yet that has maybe like honed his talents or like, he can just kind of like be the face of the franchise for um, and what he's with Montreal now and Montreal is playing uh, pretty decently um, this season in uh, in Major League Soccer. So I could be wrong about his location, but um, yeah, I just think that it's it's tough to really grade um, and talk about talk about the team when you know this isn't going to be like your lineup for you know a world cup qualifier and whatnot but i mean depth is really important uh look how much it means to the u.s women's national team after all so um i i appreciate the games and giving these players some like real-time minutes against Concacaf opponents for sure uh you are wrong about uh about about jory mihaevich's location racial um this past winter he moved to azit akmar and then to your point didn't really have a whole lot of opportunities so you think about you think about Mihailovic's club career in terms of starting off as a homegrown at Chicago Fire and he was a bright spot on several really really bad teams and then he goes to Montreal and I mean they were fun they weren't necessarily good except for last year obviously he was a major part of their fire sale and then he didn't have a particularly good start to his time in Europe we've seen this with other Americans as well getting used to a new language a new culture um, to say nothing of having to prove themselves maybe a little bit more walking in mid-season and so I said this um, Ed and I both made this point last pod maybe two pods ago when we were wrapping up the nation's league and this gold cup roster had just dropped of it's a lot of guys in here who could use maybe a time away from their club situation into an opportunity where just it's going to be good vibes they're going to be around good people and they're going to be put in a position to succeed and that may be then helping them springboard on into an opportunity elsewhere so i would certainly put georgie mihailovich in that category i would put zendejas in there as well who else did you mention in there rachel who i think is worth um not me i really like him uh, well, I think I think Miazga is happy with where he's at with FC Cincinnati. I think he'd really love to win a uh, to win a supporter shield. Uh, but you did mention Brennan Vasquez, obviously. Aaron Long. Um, 
I mean, he's at LAFC. I think he'd still have a decent chance of winning a trophy. But, you know, I look at like a Cade Cowell, for example, where we've seen bits and spurts from him from San Jose. But, you know, I don't know, Rachel, that based on the time zone and the fact of where San Jose historically has been in the table, that somebody that a European scout is staying up super late, you know, base on the European continent to watch him versus Portland Timbers. I have to imagine with the other talent in and around this competition that they're probably watching him in the Gold Cup. So, uh, you talked about the uh, you talked about the Jamaica game. I think plenty, Rachel, as I mentioned, kind of a disappointing performance, but ultimately they got the result and, you know, good for Brandon Vasquez maybe bumping up that uh, that transfer fee an extra million dollars that if uh, if Godbach is willing to pay it, then I think, uh, I think FC, at some point FC Cincinnati has to say yes to that, right? So, there's that. And then I, I think obviously a comprehensive dismantling of St. Kitts and Nevis. You had the hat trick for Jesus Ferreira. You had Jordi Mihailovic with two goals and two assists. You had Brian Reynolds with a scorcher off of a corner as well. And then if I count one, two, three goals in four minutes between the 12th and the 16th, and then it would be four goals in 13 minutes if you're talking about scoring in the 12th, the 14th, the 16th and the 25th. I, I think this was a nice it was a nice response from a performance standpoint coming off of the draw against Jamaica in that they got the third and they decided to still go for the fourth. And it was it was nice and evenly spread around in terms of goal scoring. You know, Rachel, this isn't this wasn't the United States playing another minnow in the lead up to a gold cup and winning three nil on a Jossie's artist hat trick. It was guys who wanted to get theirs. And I think the big thing for me really was the fact that they padded that goal difference relative to Jamaica to where they have an advantage. If I just look at the table right now, they've got a goal difference of plus six and Jamaica only has a goal difference of plus three. And so effectively that's the U S beating uh, St. Kitts and Nevis 6-0 and then Jamaica only beating Trinidad and Tobago by a score of 3-0. So there's that. I guess the one complication you have going in here is that St. Kitts and Nevis is effectively already eliminated from the knockout stage. I didn't realize this before we recorded the last podcast, listeners. There's now four groups in the Gold Cup group A, B, C, and D, and then now there's no longer any best third. It's the top two teams from those four groups will then fill out the bracket to then make it uh, the quarterfinals being that first round in the knockout round. So uh, the one tricky component we have here, Rachel, is the United States playing a team to where if Jamaica falters and Trinidad and Tobago can get something from the United States game and then maybe they go in on goal difference as well. Jamaica knows obviously they win and they're in. And then also if we're just looking at the fact that um, by the transitive property, the U.S. and Jamaica tied 1-1, and then the United States scored six on one of those teams. Trinidad and Tobago scored three on another. In theory, Jamaica's playing the worst of the four teams, so then they could make up that goal difference, or if the U.S. doesn't uh, isn't able to get it uh, to get the result against Trinidad and Tobago, that would be um, they would finish second in the group, and then they would, in theory, if Mexico and Canada both win their groups, they would end up on that side of the bracket rather than setting up what Concacaf ultimately wants, which is the U.S. being the one seed on one side, Mexico being the one side on the other side. The two meet in the final. USA, Mexico, hooray! Concacaf wins money. Um, so that's one. Those are a few thoughts that are just kind of going around in my head, Rachel. I. I think this is a really good Jamaica team. I think this is one of the better Jamaica teams that's really been going for it. Obviously, you've got a decent shuffling of the squad from the three big powers that we've mentioned with uh, most of those uh, with most of those 
national teams calling in their preferred starting 11 for the Nations League and then kind of giving a rotated squad, fewer European players, uh, the opportunity and the Gold Cup. So that's somebody to think about. I don't think it's I think the U.S. could lose, could not win the Gold Cup. And this tournament could still be seen as a success from a performance standpoint. I would say a very competitive but narrow loss to a Mexico or to a Canada in a semifinal for me personally would be unacceptable result and as I mentioned this is a really good Jamaica team a Jamaica team that you know Ed and I think a couple of other people in the US MNT space thought you know could win that game against the United States so we'll see what happens um, I'm really I'm still really excited about it it's, it's a gold cup with a lot of intrigue because of the roster implications and it's also kind of stress-free in that you know we don't have to worry about them winning it's you know it's kind of Rachel like uh, watching the Penguins and watching the Kings lose in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs which is super disappointing but then we just get to watch three rounds of chaos without being emotionally involved and then just having to live and die with the result and everything and that's a different kind of enjoyment in the chaos that is um conca gap anything else we want to say u.s specific to the gold cup rachel we will touch on uh your ticos oh man <laughs> yeah i just i i had a lot of people uh in my mentions like really mad about sean john starting um in goal and like I just, I just want to put a PSA out there. Gaga Selenia does not need to start against St. Kitts and Nevis. All respect to them, like respect to their players and everything. But, you know, guys like Taylor Schwalman and um, Landon Donovan, Alexia Lawless are, are correct when they say you have to take in the context. And I would rather personally have Gaga Selenia start against a Trinidad Tobago, um, Jamaica. Like you said, Matt, I love this Jamaica team. Oh my gosh. And I'm not just saying that because they have a river hound on it. Um, <laughs> but I, I would rather see Gaga Selenia start against, respectfully, a better CONCACAF team than I would have him standing there picking at the grass against St. Kitts and Neva. So, um, and he's young. He's got plenty of time. Don't worry he will get plenty of games Matt Turner's obviously the clear-cut number one but he will get plenty of games and he is a really like that's what I'm talking about with depth Gaga Salina um Sean John even Sean John is a great veteran he's such a leader on the team um you know he has time it's okay it's okay people also, I'm pretty sure, Rachel, this has got to be one of his first, like, major tournament caps that he's had. I'm, I'm sure he's gotten stuff at the youth national team. I'd have to look back to think, did he make the bench against Serbia or whichever team, you know, the U.S. played under Anthony Hudson in uh, coming out of January camp? I can't remember that off the top of my head. But, you know, for a lot of those young guys who haven't fully broken in, either at the professional level or at the national team level, just getting called into a major group where you're with this group for the better part of a month is a good enough experience to where just because you don't see game film and you don't see okay this guy you know let's say Gaga Salmina you know starts on Sunday against against TNT that you know that performance that he puts in is better than anything he did with the Chicago Fire or I don't know people did people watch the Premier League uh, Reserve League to see if he was playing games for you know Chelsea's reserves there I'm not sure so there's 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 plenty of ways that progress can be made without us actually seeing them play. Um, I'll just do a quick roundtable here, Rachel. Um, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, listeners, we are recording during the first half of Mexico versus Haiti, so we won't know the result there. I still have to think with how much anger there is around what's going on with El Tri that there's the expectation that they'll at least get out of the group. I think they win that group. Uh, and then obviously, that's kind of a fun, chaotic one because you've got Haiti in there, Honduras, which can be super conky, and then Qatar as well. I would love after what Qatar did in 
in the last gold cup that they played in and then how they flamed out as the um as the host nation in the world cup for them to not make it out of the group but either way i don't see them as a serious threat and then if we move on to group d you saw that canada got a draw in their first um in their first group stage game against guadalupe guadalupe uh then obviously they still have to play guatemala and cuba who they should be better than in that regard and then one of the serious things even though i think this is a decent cuba team relative to like the last couple gold cups they've been in the thing you always have to worry about with cuba is whether or not there are defections so you know who knows rachel maybe the next ozzy alonso is sitting on the bench right now for cuba and isn't going to make it to the end of the group stage game so in any case um i think canada gets through i think it'll be canada and guatemala in that order but we'll see concaf is chaos and probably the the most chaotic group that we have rachel in that there's not a giant in here and all three of the teams play kind of similarly and it's close enough in terms of talent the the one that is the most interesting for the CONCACAF sicko or for the neutral has to be group C is in chaos because you've got Panama Martinique El Salvador and then Costa Rica Rachel talk to me oh my gosh uh I have so much to say about Costa Rica none of it's good they have had a really 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 bad just like two months like i'm talking like i remember seeing uh jonathan tannenwall our good friend uh philadelphia inquirer jonathan tannenwall he um was in philadelphia for the um ecuador and costa rica match that was happening right before um the gold cup it was kind of like one of their tune-up matches um costa rica got their doors blown off they lost three to one and i remember jonathan tweeting something like you can literally hear screaming through the walls from this costa rica team and i mean they didn't have the greatest world cup and listen that's fine they were in a group with spain and japan and germany and there was that two minutes matt two minutes where they were on top of the group and then went back um to the bottom or third place i don't remember where they finished um but ever ever since they have only won one match and that was against Martinique and that wasn't even convincing they went down early to Martinique they got a red card and then they scored like two goals and by them I mean Martinique got a red card then Costa Rica scores like the two game-winning goals in like the last like five minutes of the game I think so it's not convincing by any means Panama oh my goodness Panama has been um just like the, the shadow that is lurking behind Costa Rica they got the better of um in Nations League, and they got the better of Costa Rica in uh, the first group stage match here at the Gold Cup. Um, so this team is really, really struggling right now. I don't know what the answer is. I think we're on, um, oh goodness, who is their coach? Uh, we're on watch for whoever their coach is. Um, and and I, I honestly think he's probably going to get canned after this. They're sitting in last place in their group right now against Panama, Martinique, El Salvador, shout out El Salvador to our friend Sir Harvey Cruz. Um, but Costa Rica, this is not a group where you would expect them to be sitting in last place at Matt. And it's just nothing is clicking right now. They're not scoring goals. Their attack is just so dismal. And they just looked flat against Panama. They looked like they were just like walking at times and like, you know, just slump shoulders and, and there was no belief in, in the group right now. And it stinks to say, because really, if you think about it in such a tough group, they didn't have a bad world cup. So you would think they would ride off of that a little bit, but not so much And Costa Rica has been really, really struggling. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Actually, 
maybe I do. Maybe it's just get younger, like get some new guys in here. Um, because, because keeping Joel Campbell at the start of your attack is not really cutting it and it hasn't been cutting it, um, for like a summer or two now. So I don't know what the answer is right now with Costa Rica in, uh, in their last two group stage games, they have El Salvador and Martinique. And honestly, I think El Salvador can get the better of the Ticos. Um, they're playing, you know, a lot of passion. Um, I mean, El Salvador, really, they're like, hey, what do we got to lose? And they have a chance to really make an upset here, um, which time of recording, we're recording on Thursday night and Costa Rica and El Salvador play on Friday night. So I, I honestly think that might be one of your group stage games to watch because we could really see a legitimate upset from El Salvador against uh, the Ticos. Rachel, yes or no, does Costa Rica make it out of the group? No, I don't think so. Okay, that's a disappointment. Um, You know, I think, I kind of ironically, we see this with every single national team, Rachel, and I think the when you have a golden generation that comes out, you know, your Kaylor Navas is, your Pablo Ruiz is, that, you know, and all the supporting cast that you had around there that made that Costa Rica team so fun, made them a real threat when it came to the Gold Cup, obviously got them through to a quarterfinal of the 2014 World Cup, and then you don't do, they've done a poor job of managing the turnover between that older generation and that younger generation, you know, uh, Rachel, it might not even be Vlako Anonofsky's fault or responsibility if the United States wins the Women's World Cup this summer. But let's be real. If they go out in the semifinal and they and they don't win that third place game, if they finish fourth effectively, he will be seen uh, like there will be commentary about did he fail or is this new generation not as good as the past generation or is there a poor player management in terms of the transition from one generation to another and i feel pretty confident at this point that costa rica just didn't do enough but they clearly have a base level just in terms of talent that they're producing locally talent that you have that is um from other countries that are dual nationals and in terms of players that they export elsewhere whether it's to la liga where it's to liga Mekki, certainly all the costa rican players who come through the united united states as well like their base level is now at with the expansion of the world cup and then knowing how many spots CONCACAF is going to get like it would be a massive failure if in the next 12 years they fail to make a World Cup based on that new format change as well but I think now while their base level has been clearly identified I think now we can pretty much say based on the aging out of the older generation and then the little data we have on the lack of progress from the new generation in terms of where their ceiling was you know Honduras was never going to do better probably than a gold cup semifinal making the world cup and then maybe barely scrape you know scraping it out of the group would be one of the greatest accomplishments of the honduras men's national team at the 2014 world cup that's probably where their level is at that's probably where panama is at i'm now wondering is costa rica then closer to those two local regional rivals than certainly they are to mexico or the united states or to canada now obviously this is concaf it's chaos you know martinique could beat the united states in that first knockout state in that first knockout game one to nil and it would honestly not surprise us there I, i've seen 10 more concaf things in the last five years than i've seen from that but just in terms of the on the measure of balance of probability and a larger sample size like world cup qualification like a World Cup, like a Gold Cup as well. I think we can clearly see a, you know, a growing gap between where the three North American powers are and certainly where the Central American and the Caribbean teams are at. Rachel, anything else Gold Cup that we want to say or shall we move on to the U.S. Women's National Team? 
Let's move on to the ladies. All right. Before we get to that, though, listeners, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. They have a signature AG1 formula, and it is perfect for your daily nutrition and gut health support. AG1 solves two of the most important health needs. Uh, It's the nutrition that your body needs for every day and the foundation for long-term gut health. Together, these two help fuel your whole body in terms of health, impacting everything from your sleep, digestion, energy, mood immunity to the health of your hair, skin, and nails, especially those nails that you're chewing on as you watch the United States beat Mexico in the semifinals of the 2023 CONCACAF Gold Cup. So simply follow the link in our show description notes to get started today with AG1. Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast and Last Word on Sports. Okay, Rachel, um, let's get to it. So we talked a little bit and you kind of want to, you want to leave it open, Rachel, because you and our, uh, you and our, our colleague, uh, uh, Jamie Rook will be doing a proper Women's World Cup talk, and he'll obviously have a lot to say about the three lionesses. What, what topic do you want to start in terms of Women's World Cup talk right now? Oh, um, we can we can talk about the U.S. and and, and their chances. Okay, let's go to. So I'm gonna as, as someone who's a little bit more distance, Rachel. I feel confident in saying between the last three World Cup rosters that this is the third best roster that the u.s is taking they're not as good as the 2015 team that won the world cup they're not as good as the 2019 world cup team my main concern from a tactical standpoint is what's going on in midfield because you've got health concerns around roosevelt and lindsey haran i feel like it's i feel like it would be easier i feel like it would make more sense for me from a distance to start rose lavelle and then have him be a sub off and then have lindsey haran come off the bench but while i think this is still an equally talented midfield group in terms of the number of players you have it's not clear to me how the pieces fit together in ways i think it was very very well understood between the veterans in 2015 and it was a little bit more laissez-faire in 2019 uh, albeit like when rose is cooking the way she's cooking and her hair spongy. Does it really matter what the formation is and what's going on and everything? No, it's like PSG playing in France. We have Mbappe, we have Messi, we have Neymar. Hoof the ball up to them. We're going to win this game. That's basically what that was going on. And so I worry that we don't have that as well. Obviously, there's been a couple of injuries that have players missing out. Obviously, as a Coloradan, I am absolutely gutted that Mallory Swanson isn't going to be there as well. Um, so that is a disappointment. I also have to think in terms of the competition, in terms of the field that you have going on, I would say other than maybe Canada being not as good as they were as a host nation in 2015. And I think you could make an argument that a couple of the key pieces for, um, for the England are older are now on the older side whereas they were slightly on the younger side in 2019 i would say as a whole this is the best field that the all the non-us uh teams have been in terms of the women's world cup so you combine the weakest team that we fielded in three iterations of this competition with the improving growth as the women's game elsewhere has caught up in terms of different levels and the u.s is never going to have back-to-back Women's World Cup champions, you're never going to have a bigger target on your back than if they win and then go into 2027. Rachel, I do not have the United States women's national team winning this World Cup. At the same time, I do not think at the same time, I do. I think there are a number of scenarios in which they don't win it. And it is not seen as a failure in the eyes of the informed. Yeah, I think that 
that's the key word there, right? In the eyes of the informed, of course, people would say, oh, it's a failure because they've won it, you know, two times in a row. But like you said, Matt, the world's catching up. And it's great to see, honestly. I love it. I love that women's soccer is growing so much that, I mean, look at look at our region. CONCACAF has six teams going. I mean, we literally had four teams qualify, U.S., uh, Canada, Costa Rica, and um, and Jamaica. And then, boom, we go and send two teams to uh, an 11-team playoff with only three spots up for grabs. Panama and Haiti punch their ticket to the World Cup. It's awesome. I love seeing the growth um, within our region, um, within the world. Obviously, uh, and Jamie and I are going to touch on this a lot, but there's a lot of discrepancies and a lot of issues. Spain, look at them, for example. One of the best teams in the world. I don't know if you've seen that Alexia Putellis goal that she scored today, Matt, but hooey. She is coming back from her ACL, and they're my pick to win the World Cup, and I would love to see them win the World Cup so they can shove it in their federation space and say, ha ha, ha ha, look at what we did, give us our money. Um, But there's, you know, paid disputes with, I mean, Canada's basically going broke. They're having... um issues with their federation uh nigeria randy waldrum you know highlighted a lot of stuff going on within their federation and their players not getting paid um and having proper um uh proper time to get ready and in, in trainings and camps for the world cup so yes there is a lot of growth most certainly and this is definitely going to be um the most competitive world cup that we've seen and we said that in 19 and we've said that in 15 and it's good that we're repeating ourselves because that means that the competition is growing and there's just you know there's so many good players on just you know lots of teams we've got a lot of first timers this year republic of ireland morocco um panama and haiti i mean haiti's a fun team to watch like if if you're going in as a neutral and you just want a fun team to watch Haiti is your team because they have a lot of young players who are ready to just be like, I just want to score goals on the world's biggest stage and not really give a crap um, about anybody else. Um, so there's, there's a lot to be excited for, for this world cup. I'm in total agreement with you, Matt. I don't think um, they are going to win the world cup. I have some issues with a lot of the defensive decisions. Um, I, I hear you on the midfield. It's really, you know, it, I've, I've been scratching my head at certain decisions. Um, on the roster. I don't think the whole thing is terrible, but I do think there's a lot of decisions that I'm just like, wait, what? Um, not having Ashley Sanchez, or, I'm sorry, Ashley Hatch on this roster is just, it's personally criminal at this point. She is just on fire um, for club with the Washington spirit. So having, um, having her sit at home, um, she wrote a, a lengthy post on her Instagram, just very, um, very humble about it, but also heartbroken. And then what does she do? She goes and scores for the Washington spirit <laughs> right after the roster drop. But yeah, that midfield, they were looking for so long for someone to replace Julie Ertz. And now Julie Ertz is back, but I'm not convinced because she hasn't played a lot with angel city. So I don't really know what she looks like um, uh, at the club or international level too much. Cause I haven't really seen enough of it. Um, Savannah DeMello is a really exciting inclusion. She does not have a cap for the national team, but she's on the roster because of what she has done with racing Louisville this year. Um, and she is certainly not going through any sort of a sophomore slump. Uh, Rose Lavelle is made of breadsticks. That's why she hasn't played in like two months. So basically they could keep her on ice, um, and have her ready for the world cup. Oh, well, rain won't say it. U.S. soccer won't say it, but I'll say it. It's fine. And then Matt, we've talked about this so much. Um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the discourse about 
there are only two center backs uh, on this roster, natural center backs. Again, we still <laughs> we still have Crystal Dunn playing in a defensive position when we certainly do not. I promise you, Emily Fox is good enough um, to start on a World Cup team. That's why she made the roster. User. Um, I, I'm not thrilled with the potential center back pairing of Naomi Gurman and Emily Sonnet, and I have zero. Um, I and that's for rotation. I think they're going to start Alana Cook and and Naomi Gurman, but Alana Cook will be the first on the bench for rotation. I think. Um, but I just for for me, I I don't really warrant Sonnet or uh, Kelly O'Hara's inclusion on the roster. Um, Kelly O'Hara. Great person, really nice person, I'm sure of it. Um, but I she has no place on this national team. I don't understand why she she's on the list. Um again, made of breadsticks, gets injured all the time, and it's Blacko said he wants her for the locker room. Okay, well you have a lot of veteran leadership already with Pino and um Megan uh uh Alex Morgan. Um you've got veteran leadership with Dunn and Haran now. So I mean I don't really understand what more uh, Kelly O'Hara is going to bring to the locker room um, that isn't already there. And then on in the goal, Matt, I do not trust Alyssa Nair between those sticks. I, I am understandable of the fact that all of Chicago's troubles this year, and they, I mean, they're bad this year. I don't think anybody has had a worse dip in form um, in the span of a few months than Tatum Milzano. Um, but I think that... I, I think that there are a lot of problems with Chicago that have been Nair's fault. There's been a lot of uh, goals that I've seen. She's not in the correct position. She just stands there. And it's like, how are you going to give her the starting job when, I mean, she only has like two clean sheets, I think, this year. I'd give it to Casey Murphy. She's second on the team. Um, Aubrey Kingsbury's having the season of her life. That's why she, uh, that's why she took over for Adriana Franch. There's just a lot of better goalkeepers to choose from, and I get it, the veteran presence in net, yada, yada, yada. But I'm not confident in Nahir's play whatsoever. And if it goes to penalties, I'm definitely not confident. Yeah, I mean, as, as we've touched, Rachel, this roster clearly has flaws, and they're more significant and more pronounced than they were in the last two Women's World Cups. I found an article from Vegas Insider, Rachel, that compiled all of the betting odds that you have across all the various platforms, just to, as a number... We're not condoning betting here on here, listeners. This isn't turning into a sponsorship or anything. And then obviously these bets are in part to hedge against probability, which then uh, guarantees that the house makes money and that you don't necessarily do. So these aren't necessarily perfect, but um, it's plus 225 for the United States. So, Rachel, that's you bet $100 on the U.S., you win 225 uh, and then plus 300 for England. So about on average, the U.S. is still the betting favorite for most of these platforms and then narrowly. The next best favorite you have is England. We've already talked about the three lionesses and what we think there. And the next three that you have are Spain, Germany, and France. You've mentioned Spain, Rachel, and their their talent and everything. And obviously, they've been competitive in this competition, though they've never been close to actually winning it. And then we kind of forget about Germany, surprisingly, in the women's game. And then I know, Rachel, I, I haven't kept up too much with the French women's national team, but every single time I do, they're kind of in a similar, maybe even worse period of 
chaos than Canada is in terms of the Federation, and they've appointed a proper adult to take over uh, after the ousting of their last head coach in Herve Renard, former French footballer and then famed uh, memed halftime show, halftime show, excuse me. Uh, he was the, uh, he's coached more various African nations on the men's national team side listeners, and then he was the head coach for Saudi Arabia this past World Cup, and you'll remember his very emphatic halftime speech that he gave to Saudi Arabia on way on their way to getting the only win that anybody ever got against the world champion Lionel Messi's side here and everything. So, um, Rachel, I'm wondering if you just briefly, we, we talked about Spain, we talked about England. Um, I think, okay, Rachel, I think we agree that if you're just doing like betting odds based on, uh, you know, the, the informed knowledge of the tournament, if it's not the U.S., it's it's England, yes? Yeah, I would think so. Um, they definitely have some injuries that they need to, to settle up. But yeah, I think I, I think England's a really good shout. I think Australia is a really good shout too. Um, it, on paper, it looks like they have a really tough group, but I think that they'll top their group with Ireland, Nigeria, and Canada. Um, and then honestly, like I would even throw Japan in the mix there. Um, I know they're in the same group as Spain, but they have a really, really uh, young team, a decent team that has been getting results and has grown a lot over the last few years. And I would have said the Netherlands, but with Miedema injured, I don't know about that. Yeah, I think unfortunately, Rachel, there's a lot of everybody. Obviously, this this is an easy thing to say in terms of, uh, you know, like oh, everybody healthy makes for a more interesting tournament. But there's just there's so many key injuries here, and I just I still have to wonder if this is the first proper off season we're going to get for both the men's and the women's game in which we've now finally hit the reset button after COVID because you had COVID truncating the 2019-2020 season. It made the 2020-2021 seasons weird. And then you had World Cup qualification that happened through. And then obviously now we just finished out a men's calendar year in terms of the European calendar, which obviously had a two-month break in the middle where Erling Holland sits there and meditates and thinks about scoring a million goals against Arsenal. And obviously a bunch of other players in the Premiership go on to play with their national teams in the World Cup. So we're finally, like, I, I feel like by the time we get to August, September, we'll finally be at a point where it's like, okay, we are back to normal in the way that we were normal in January of 2020. Rachel, any other? You mentioned Australia, which I feel like the Matildas are down a little bit, but I I hear where you're coming from if the argument behind them is host nation and just the bump that we've seen from them in the same way that France was obviously empowered by being the host nation as well there. You had your finger up, so I'll let you, uh, I'll let you go. Yeah, I, th I think Australia has definitely benefited from moving from Oceania to the um um, to the Asian Confederation because they get a lot more meaningful matches um, against, you know, China, South Korea, um, Japan, of course. So, yeah, I think that's a it's, it's definitely fair to have the criticism against Australia. But, yeah, they're definitely going to have the bump from from being the home team. I wish I could say the same for New Zealand, but they are just historically not a consistent team. Um, but the reason I had my hand up, Matt, was because I forgot about Brazil. And of course, they're going to be super impassioned because it's more than likely going to be March's last uh, World Cup unless she tries to tie her uh, her former teammate Formiga for that seventh World Cup in, um oh gosh, what would that be, Matt, 2027? I don't know about that, though, with some of the injuries that March has had. But a little cool tidbit that, um you know, we talked about the CONCACAF Gold Cup and, 
and uh, how we've got six teams from CONCACAF going to the Women's World Cup. It doesn't happen a lot, but because of uh, having six teams and because one was in a playoff spot, we actually have a group where there are CONCACAF teams going against each other. Group F has France, Jamaica, Brazil, and Panama. So I'm really excited to see on the world stage a CONCACAF versus CONCACAF match because that's going to be so hardcore. It's very rare that we see CONCACAF versus CONCACAF unless it's the US or Canada, but they're not like very CONCACAF-y and these other teams are. And man, Jamaica, they're we talked about their men's team having a fun squad. Man, this women's team has such a fun squad too. And they're just, I mean, how can you not root for the reggae girls? Yes, it it is a fun time for for the reggae boys and the reggae girls in that Rachel. It's it's funny. So you mentioned that Rachel, which was it was Group F, correct? So let me just rename. So yes, yeah, so France, Brazil, Jamaica, and Panama, and then obviously the two teams that you have from Concacaf in there. There was a fun. I can't remember whether it was Twitter or it was Reddit, a Reddit thread, Rachel. But it was the the question was for the men's World Cup, which group could you combine all four countries into the same country and have it be the most functional and understandably there were a lot of memes coming out of the fact that germany and japan were in the same group but then i can't remember it was it was whichever group morocco got out of and basically the argument was it was three relatively stable democracies and then the country they could all colonize for food and natural resources and everything so if i'm just looking at the all of the groups that you have in the Women's World Cup in terms of food combinations, I think the two that you would have to go with would have to be, I, okay, I'll, I'll say three because I just saw Group H. So you could have maybe Group H, but I think you have to go with Group F, France, Brazil, Jamaica, and Panama, or it has to be... Group C, Japan, Costa Rica, Spain, and Zambia. And so I would love to see, find me the Denver-based food truck listeners that is a combined fusion French-Brazilian, Jamaican, and Panamanian food. I don't even know where you start with spices on that front, yet alone whatever you're actually cooking. I assume I assume chicken will work, at least as a base for that all of them can agree with. So yeah, do some with, um, with that that would be absolutely fun there. Um, and then last thing that I want most, to mention, go ahead, Rachel. The most chaotic one, you know, would be England, Haiti, Denmark, and China. That would be, God, could you imagine that? That would, that would have to be on like a, um, what are those called? Um, kebab. Like you would have to put every like little thing on a kebab stick. Okay. Yeah. But it wouldn't like, you'd have something fried and horrible for you and not actually seasoned for me. Like it, it'd be too, it wouldn't actually mesh. It's like the, the British invaded other countries to bring their ethnic food there, not to try, not to try to improve upon beans on toast. Cause there's nothing that you could do um, with that. Was there something else you wanted to say, Rachel? No, that's fair. And that group that you were talking about, Matt, though. Yeah, I totally hear you. Morocco, Croatia, Belgium, and Canada. Last thing that I want to say on the Women's World Cup group, uh, Women's World Cup is Rachel in Group A. We have Norway, and correct me if I'm wrong. This is the return from a World Cup standpoint for Ada Hegerberg. Um, you know what does that mean? Obviously, having historically in the last decade one of the best, if not the best, women's players in the competition. Um, and could Norway make any noise in this in this summer? Yeah, I, th I I certainly think they could. I mean, Norway is, you know, they're going to rely on Hagerberg for sure. Um, they also have, um, I'm going to probably mispronounce her name, 
Guru Wrighton, um, and then of course uh, Caroline Graham Hansen. So they have they have a really solid core that um, is going into the World Cup with them. Um, they're in a pretty favorable group if you think about it with New Zealand, Philippines, and Switzerland. I could see Norway topping that group for sure. Um, how they do in the knockout round? Uh, tough to say against maybe some more seasoned opponents. But I think that Norway would definitely be like your dark horse to watch. And I also say that about Nigeria, too. I really want to see them do well, but I'm biased because of Randy Waldrum. Mm -hmm. Anything else Women's World Cup-wise, Rachel or Shelby? Okay, let's move on. So last thing we got here, the one bit of MLS news that we're going to talk about, Rachel, is that it was confirmed today, possibly yesterday. I can't remember. Um, it would have been uh, Tata Martino is confirmed as the new head coach for Inter-Miami, obviously filling in for the now pre-Messi bomb news bomb ousted phil neville um i should point out rachel we technically have not gotten confirmation that messi has signed with inner miami and we're now over two weeks since you know he came out saying that he's coming to miami rachel i really really hope that this isn't messy just absolutely giving mls the run uh the um the runaround just so that he can have Saudi Arabia change the first digit on the billion-dollar check that he's getting. I, I had a nightmare about that, that he was just doing it to get an extra billion dollars out of Saudi Arabia. I still want to believe that's not happening, because I, I can't imagine, I can't. no amount of money can convince Messi to agree to support a World Cup bid that is going up against his Argentina. Now, you know, Ronaldo, we've already confirmed, is a capitalist who will take money from anybody. Uh, just look at the ads of stuff that he's run in Japan and China and the various products that he's endorsed there, but that's another topic. In any case, Rachel, uh, Tata Martino returning to MLS, where obviously he has respect from a style of play in Argentina. He'll obviously have the gravitas to bring in young and inner and middle level major talent coming out of South America and Central America, certainly. He's obviously been very successful in MLS, won MLS Cup with Atlanta United in 2017, and obviously someone who is familiar. Uh, they, he's never actually coached Lionel Messi, from what I read earlier today, but they have a rapport. They've crossed paths enough. They've seen each other, and there's a level of mutual respect. And so you think about that, Rachel, where you compare, I would argue, at least 28 of the other 29 head coaches in MLS um, to where you're probably, to where Messi's not going to respect him. And so um, I'm not entirely sure this is, this is going to work from a personality and a um, and a resume standpoint, I'm not super convinced that Tata Martino can come out and ask for, you know, heavy level pressing, you know, high intensity. I'm not rotating my squad in the playoffs. Miguel Amarone, you can sleep when you're dead or when we sell you for $30 million to Newcastle United, whichever happens second in that case. He's not doing that with Messi. He's not doing that with Busquets. If there's another plus 30-year-old, uh, you know, Messi and friends that comes here. So th there's going to have to be some tactical flexibility or adjustment going on. Um, but Rachel, I think, I think this is the best thing that you could get because I'm not sure there's another candidate out there that checks the boxes in terms of messy international appeal to keep what Inter Miami is trying to do from a recruitment standpoint, and most importantly, has an understanding of MLS. You could have Marcelo Bielsa come in, but Bielsa's going to get frustrated with the MLS by day six, whereas Tata Martino knows at some point he's going to be coaching a kid out of college who never would have shared the field with Messi, who obviously he would have had to have made productive in Atlanta. But Rachel, your thoughts on uh, Tata coming to South Florida? Could you imagine going from what what was the guy's name who who coached them before the England guy? Uh, Phil what? Neville. Phil oh, Neville. before before Phil Neville? No, no, no. That could you imagine going from Phil Neville to Tata Martino? That is like 
I feel like if you just sum up MLS in a nutshell, <laughs> like the chaos. In, in what other league and in what other club would you realistically have, would you be in such a dire state to where you would think hiring Phil Neville is a good idea and Phil Neville would be interested in that job and you would go to the upgrade in Tata Martino and at the same time Tata Martino would be interested. You know, I mean, I don't think Phil Neville's a bad coach, Rachel. He underachieved with England, obviously. He was a disaster in MLS, obviously. But I mean, would a, would a third division, would an EFL League One team in England be probably be interested in having him as a head coach? Yes. Would Phil Neville want that job? I don't know. Could a championship team get him? Probably. Would Tata Martino even return a phone call from any team in the championship? Absolutely not. Um, MLS is chaos. This is why we're better than everybody, even though it's a disaster. MLS is the best league in the universe. Don't let anyone <laughs> Saudi Arabia and China may have all the money, but dang it, we have the chaos. <laughs> that needs to be the slogan. <laughs> But you, you missed something, Matt. You missed something. We have Tata Martino reuniting as well with Joseph Martinez. And I feel like if any, I know you're like, what the heck, man? But uh, I feel like if anybody can get uh, the, the work that we know that Joseph Martinez, of course, everyone, um, anyone who sustains an ACL injury, they come <laughs> back a different player, whether it be better, whether it be, um, you know, a smidge worse. Um, and I think, I think Tata Martino is going to get what he needs out of Joseph Martinez. He knows what he's capable of. Of course, he's seen it. Like you said, they won MLS Cup together in 2017. Um, and they're going to need him because they're going to put like four defenders on Messi. Let's be real. And then boom, that opens up Joseph Martinez and he can score a bunch of goals. Um, but yeah, I think it's just the perfect hire, really. I mean, look at the demographic of um, the Miami area. Um, and the area surrounding uh, Miami as well. It's a great hire. Again, like you said, Matt, I'm just going to echo all your point and say you're spot on. Um, the recruitment level is, is especially huge. Um, you know, he reminds me of a lot of Jurgen Klinsmann in regard to his um, recruiting. Um, just very, you know, likable, getting people on board and then like buying them into, you know, at least the program and the team. Um, and I think Tata Martino is going to recruit uh, really well in the South American and um, Central American countries. And I I hope, I always want to see Inter-Miami do well. I mean, they have pink as their color. That's awesome. And they just haven't lived up to the expectation that has been so heavy on them. I mean, they're a David Beckham club. Of course, they're going to have heavy expectation. But I, I think Tati Martino is just like, they finally got it right, at least on the coaching standpoint. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Um. So I'm still kind of curious about how we're viewing the expectations for Inter-Miami in this win, Rachel. Obviously, we've gotten confirmation from Jorge Mas and ownership over at Inter that Messi will not be playing until the League Cup. That's a separate tournament, obviously, where they'd come in. But Messi's going to have to get used to his new teammates. You've got a new head coach who will have had, what, maybe four or five games, if that, at that point. You'll have had Messi coming in as well. You'll have new players getting used to that. And who knows how many other of Messi and friends are assembled on, you know, and officially in training kits and then eligible for selection by the time we get to that. So I, I don't know that 
barring Messi just coming in and completely wrecking this league, I don't know that we can confidently say that Inter Miami is going to be a competitive threat relative to those Liga Mekis teams coming into Leagues Cup. And obviously now they're still, you know, they're second bottom from the, uh, you know, in the supporter shield standings at this point. And I saw on, I can't remember if it was 360 or the wrap-up show on MLS season pass on Apple TV the other day, but they were doing the math in terms of by the time Messi joins the team, how many games will be left and where do we think, what results do we think Inter Miami is getting before then as well? And it's basically, Rachel, they're going to have to average two points a game in order to get into a playoff spot. So you're expecting Messi to show up and this team on average for the games left that they have to play to be playing at a supporter shield clip the rest of the way. I don't know that that is likely. And so kind of ironically, Rachel, I think the best chance that Inter Miami actually has of being relevant in any way in any of their competitions with Messi this season is probably the Open Cup, which you're talking about something that's going to save the Open Cup. Oh my God, Messi would be the perfect thing in order to do that as well. You know, especially since Rachel, we're not getting your, uh, we're not getting the the River Hounds versus um, versus Birmingham in a semifinal to guarantee a second straight year with a USL Championship team in through the final. So there's that. So that's just my, I, I still, I think there's too many moving parts between the coaching staff, Messi coming in, and then whatever other players are coming in and coming out in order to make the money work, regardless of what rules that MLS decides to implement to make that a more seamless transition for Inter and for their front office and everything. I just think it's too many moving parts for Inter Miami to be settled and competitive and at a consistent clip for them to do something this season could they absolutely be set up to be a team that would absolutely compete for multiple trophies next season i'm not going to rule that out right now but that's just the, that's my last thought my last concern that i have with this even though they do have a head coach with obviously a very good pedigree abroad and within major league soccer anything else we want to say rachel or shall we move on to pickums all right um let's move on so first thing that we'll do um rachel i did this last couple times um so uh we've got united states versus trinidad and tobago so we'll do that one and then both of us are going to pick an MLS game this weekend, doesn't matter which, and then just pick it uh, Why you're interested in it and then what the score is going to be. If you just want to pick the Sounders game, that's fine, Rachel. But first, uh, we've got this coming Sunday. Is that is that the first day in July? Let me check my calendar. Oh, it's the uh, it's July 2nd. So Sunday, July 2nd. Um, the United States men's national team will be taking on Trinidad and Tobago in their final game of Group A. It'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Rachel, uh, what's the scoreline in this one? And I'll have you also predict where the U.S. finishes in the group. Yeah, I think uh, I think the U.S. wins. I'm going to say I'm going to say they get the two nil draw. Um, I don't think it's going to be blown out of the water too crazy. Um, I, I always think when the U.S. plays Trinidad and Tobago, they are certainly Take the, take a deep breath for a second before they play them. Um, oh, never forget that October two thousand seventeen day. I think they finished first in the group too. Now, I think the U.S. will also win this game against Trinidad and Tobago, Rachel. But I think TNT will put up more of a fart, more of a fart, more of a fight than say Kitts and Nevis will in this one. So I think I think Jamaica will do enough, and Jamaica will reverse the goal difference that you have in terms of the. U.S. in this one. So I'm thinking like a 1-0 or a 2-0 at most for the U.S. And I think Jamaica literally, yeah, they're that, um, they're the Kylo Ren more meme that you have at the end of episode eight of Star Wars when he's sitting in that, um, the, uh, bulked up muscly, um, ATAT that you have as well. So Jamaica narrowly skips in on goal difference to finish first in the group and the United States will finish second in group A in 
the Gold Cup. And then, Rachel, let's throw it on to the weekend of MLS. Rachel, give me a game to watch and give me how you think it's going to shake out. I, I think it has to be the Toronto match. Um, Toronto and Real Salt Lake with um, the recent firing of, of Bob Bradley. Um, I, I would love to say Toronto just because um, I want to say that, you know, they're feeling better than Bob, the old uh, Brian Schmetzer meme. But I don't know. I feel like this one will be like kind of a sludge fest. These two are very like sludgy, um, neck at neck teams. I, I want to say it's going to be like, Two two maybe two two draw. Uh, Rachel, it's funny you mentioned that uh, because I've got a matchup between the first and second place team in the Eastern Conference and in the Supporter Shield with FC Cincinnati hosting New England Revolution. FC Cincinnati flying high right now and at home at TQL Stadium. They are ten. 10- O and O. You combine that with the fact that you've got Carlos Hill coming off of, to the extent that he cares, being snubbed from the MLS All-Star game from the team that will obviously take on Arsenal at DC United Stadium later this month. No, it's, it's next month. It's got to be in July. And so, uh, and then also you've got a number of absences for both of these teams, but more significantly for FC Cincinnati due to international duty. Obviously, no Brandon Vasquez. He's with the United States. No uh, Matt Miazga. He's with the United States as well. Um, um, so g- give me, I will say, Rachel, that we have that FC Cincinnati gets their first home loss in league play this season. Give me one nil. And yes, it's Carlos Hill scoring to get the massive three points in a effectively a supporter shield six pointer. Um, though I still think FC Cincinnati is going to win the shield. So uh, that's the game that I'm looking forward to 530 p.m. Excuse me, 730 p.m. Eastern time for those of you. And I'm very excited to watch that mass regardless of the absences that we have from both teams. Uh, with that, Rachel, let's throw it to last words. Do you have any last words? Boy, I really wanted you to say Bobby Wood with the game winning goal. <laughs> I wanted, I thought you were gonna go there for a second, Matt. I really. Uh, did. How about, I'll, I'll give you Bobby Wood on the assist. How about that? Okay, I'll take it. I will take it. Um, <laughs> no, just uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, at Rachel Kruger. There are two A's in my name, not just one. If you want all of my fun hot takes. Um, and then just wanted to drop a drop a note that Jamie and I are recording the the Women's World Cup. Um, preview podcast we're doing a really big one there's so much to talk about so yes it may be a two hour long episode but that's fine because me and jamie are super super lovable bring it on indeed um so that will be dropping uh later next week after the holiday um and yeah, just want to give a quick shout out for last words to my friend, Father Mingui. It was his fourth anniversary um, today of being ordained. And it was really cool to be able to spend that day with him. Um, he's my bestie. He's leaving my parish grouping to go an hour away. And I'm so sad, but um, just want to give him a shout out. Is he moving to Erie by chance, Rachel? No, he's moving to like the other side of Pittsburgh. So... Not too, too far away, but still not like five minutes away. Oh, that's disappointing. Okay, in any case, uh, Rachel, I want to pour one out for every single Rapids fan and every single person who stuck it out through four hours and six minutes of a delay between in a game that was supposed to happen between the Colorado Rapids and Vancouver Whitecaps this past Wednesday. And that game has now been rescheduled for Wednesday, September 27th. But you had, we went through the national anthems, Rachel, because you obviously had a Canadian team in market. So we had these, uh, we had O Canada played. We obviously had the Star Spangled Banner sung as well. And then combine that, this was also the Rapids home game that they had during uh, MLS's Juneteenth celebration. So we had a song 
for that as well. And literally, once that was immediately done, not two minutes before it was supposed to be the scheduled kickoff, PA announcer comes on saying the kickoff has been delayed due to inclement weather. You had lightning coming in and out. There was a whole bunch of rain. Uh, There were such big lightning strikes, Rachel, that at one point the power went out at the stadium. And there was an announcer, uh, there was an announcement from the PA guy saying uh, that the stadium had emergency backup generators and those were going to provide power until the regular power came on. That's not a major concern that should make you decide to leave the game or run for a huddle or think, oh my God, here's the apocalypse. I hope you like Leather Rapids fans. So so all that went on. The, the power was out for the better part of like 15 minutes. Um, you had multiple, not fan invasions in terms of like entire sections, but like two to three people at a time running towards the goal, going in the goal, the supporters section chanting goal, and then them running off before security is actually able to get them and then running into the crowd and then disappearing as well. It was absolute chaos. Um, at one point, Rachel, I think this was like 11.15. I was bored and didn't have anything to do because I was going to I was going to get home early enough to where I was going to quickly. Uh, the gym in my building is 24 hours, so I was just going to do like 15 minutes on the treadmill just to like get a mile in and get my heart going as well before going to bed. Um, and so I just decided, well, I've got my headphones here. I've got decent enough Wi-Fi and everything. I'll just put, I'll just put on my playlist or whatever and then do like two or three laps around the concourse. And then I decide, well... Nobody's actually in the stands because we were told to take shelter. And then there can't be that many people who are just hiding out in the bathroom because it's not necessary, right? Let me count all of the people who are there. So I go around twice around, averaging out around 119. Maybe somebody came into the bathroom. Maybe somebody came out of the bathroom. Maybe somebody left in the time before uh, when I was during lap one, before I came back around for lap two and everything. And uh, in that about 120 people, Rachel, I feel pretty confident about a third of that were people that were actually working the game. So, you know, it was, we were supposed to be a 7.30 kickoff. So you're not quite a four hour weather delay at that point. And I feel confident saying there were less than a hundred ticketed spectators still at the stadium. And then finally 1142 PM local time, we get confirmed that the game is off. The league was apparently trying to work with commerce city with the local ordinance that they had. There's not much of a noise ordinance for the game. It's the lighting ordinance. And they were asking for an extension previously. The kickoff for that was midnight. And then there was the thought of, well, if we start by 1130, then they'll let you finish the game tonight. That would have put full time. Rachel at like 1 a.m. I'm not getting out of there before 2 a.m. if we're actually doing media availability at that point. We had so much time that we went back through and looked at it, Rachel. The latest a Rapids game ever ended relative to the previously scheduled kickoff time for a game that wasn't postponed to the next day would have been that 2019 4th of July game against New England Revolution in which the game ended at 12.18 a.m. and apparently Bruce Arena went off on Major League Soccer for deciding to even play that game. So it was absolute chaos um, and uh, Brian Dunseth was dishing on Project 20 Reserve League and his time with um, the Miami Fusion with Ray Hudson as head coach because we literally ran out of things to talk about. I know, Rachel, you and I have been constructively critical of Max Bredos and his commentating and everything. Totally nice guy in terms of interacting with everything. Uh, I said goodbye to him at the end of the night after I had spoken to him over the course of a few periods. He uh, he remembered my name and everything. So, you know, hey, maybe don't judge a book by its color or maybe don't judge a book until you've spent four hours with it during a rain delay to actually get to know it and everything. So... I had a lot of really fun and weird conversations. I had a lot of time to goof around and make a bunch of jokes. I got a lot of traction on social media from the ridiculousness that happened. Um, Shout out to, um, I'm going to look this up so I don't misremember the guy because um, 
the guy who had the two lightning pictures that you had um and i want to i want to give i want to give this guy his flowers because these photos were absolutely fantastic i'm gonna scroll through twitter until i find it because i know where it is i'm pretty sure i apologize for all the dead air listeners We we can fill the dead air by saying that Matt is has officially signed on to do a uh, ten thousand word story about all of his adventures at uh, DSG and, <sighs> and, and even if not a story, it at least has to be a podcast. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. just like a, a special podcast series of of you drinking coffee with someone going over DSG stories. All right, here we go. Isaiah J Downing. At Isaiah Downing, I-S-A-I-A-H, Isaiah Downing, D-O-W-N-I-N-G, a sports photographer for USA Today Sports Images, um, had two fantastic shots of the stadium with lightning in the background and super weird coloring that just looked like super apocalyptic or something out of He-Man or what's the, or Highlander where they have the sword, Rachel, and then they summon lightning and it's, I have the power with the quickening and everything. Well, I have the powers, He-Man anyways. So like the, that was absolutely insane. But yes, Rachel, I'll, I'll put it on the record here. Um, before the end of the calendar year, I will, I will do, I will do some form of content for the public on the 10 craziest weather events in the history of Dick Sporting Goods Park. And this one is absolutely making the list. I want to thank uh, our I want to thank our uh, other two sponsors. First, um, Icarus FC, who create fantastic and wonderful, unique and completely custom kits that you can have for your youth club, a Sunday league squad, an adult, an office or even a pro team. Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Their motto is literally any design you want. Seriously, let them help you design the kit of your dreams at IcarusFC.com. And then I also want to thank Roughneck Scarves, who are an official scarf supplier supplier of MLS, USL and US soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves or official merchandise scarves uh, for your group, team, or office at roughneckscarf.com. I have to assume, Rachel, including uh, official World Women's World Cup scarves for the 2023 Women's World Cup for the United States Women's National Team. Follow us on all the socials at LastWordSC. Check out all of our content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer. And then find us and a whole bunch of other great podcasts here from the Last Word family. Just search LWS Radio on your favorite podcatcher. You'll find us and a bunch of other great content. Listeners, we'll see you next time.